0: All right, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Co-Creating with AI. We are proud to present our guest Rasmus Falander, and with me as always is um, my co-host um, Rasmus as well, Rasmus Oller. So, what's your uh, um, status today, Rasmus? And I've, I'm uh, I'm referring to Rasmus Oliver. Oliver, how are we going to do this with names? I'm
1: uh, yeah. confused already. That's actually going to be a little bit tough. Uh, so, <laughs> maybe we we'll need to come up with, you know, So, I'm, I'm,
0: I'm going to refer to you as host Rasmus and guest Rasmus. Uh, host Rasmus, how are you today?
1: Uh, I'm pretty good. Yeah. Uh, nice day. Uh, and, uh, you know, excited for this chat. Uh, guest Rasmus, I guess I don't have to say that, right? But uh, <laughs> uh, Rasmus is a uh, close friend of mine and uh, you know, probably uh, one of the best product people, uh, you know, in Sweden. Uh, you know, someone I always bounce kind of product questions with, and then more and more over the past year, AI, uh, you know, we had a dinner just last week, uh, you know, just chatting about, you know, the OpenAI Dev Day and what's happening and, and what comes next. Uh, so always like someone I really, really uh, you know enjoy discussing with and who stays, you know, kind of on top practically of, you know, using AI and experimenting with it, uh, both at work, and but also privately. Uh, so that doesn't say anything about what you actually do, Rasmus, so maybe you want to just give it to a couple of lines about that.
2: Yeah, so uh, nowadays I'm at uh, Klarna. I've been at Klarna for eight years doing product management. And before that, uh, I guess the, the wrap up of the story is uh, a crash and burn entrepreneur. Uh, I had a couple of rendezvous. Uh, and got to learn a lot. Uh, but I've been very happy uh, settling down and learning at the Klarna for the last eight years. And obviously since 30th of November, 2022, the hype has reached all the tech companies around AI, with ChatGPT. Uh, I had the privilege of doing some projects before that. If I'm completely honest, I was uh, discouraging some of the AI hype before, which was small in comparison, but uh, with that, it's just a hype. Uh, and uh, somewhere around uh, the end of 2022, my my perspective on this just dramatically changed. And I think why I've gotten so passionate about this is... Uh, I have this uh, product orientation, I usually say, which is I love removing forms, queues, and uh, uh, administration from people's lives. That's the like, product management uh, uh, approach. I love giving time back. And AI is the tools we have now with generative AI is perfect for that, right? We, we can, mm-hmm. in so many ways, remove uh, friction and uh, give time back to people. So I've been uh, you know, all over this, love it, and uh, I spend... Uh, All of my working time and uh, also a lot of my free time uh, playing around with this and and, uh, obviously at Klarna being the the main place, uh, but even speaking to other companies uh, outside, trying to help and and navigate. So uh, yeah, super excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. Can, can i just start by asking how old are you rasmus uh, guest rasmus i mean you've this incredible experience and you are i would guess from looking at your face like 22 years old so what what's the real number
2: if you saw uh, the back side of my head and the gray hair you would uh, have a more accurate <laughs> guess uh, No, but i'm i'm 34 uh, 34 yeah, yeah. and uh, i awesome. as as many tech uh, entrepreneurs uh, back in the days so I started uh, in university with my first company actually uh, me and the host Rasmus uh, we <laughs> shared offices <laughs> while we were uh, building separate companies once upon a time here in Stockholm cool yeah.
0: awesome so uh, what's your learning edge right now what like what what are you currently like thriving and enjoying reading about the most and learning about the most
2: uh Oh, uh, honestly, uh, it's been a little bit of uh, AI uh, scene entertainment over the last couple of days with all the drama going on, not to, to mm-hmm. dive into that too much, but that's been uh, very fun looking at what, what, how I am uh, usually going about learning about things in general and in particular with, with AI uh, over the last uh, one and a half years is I'm very practically oriented. uh, So I like to try to do stuff and build stuff uh, rather than uh, just sit and and read and philosophize. So it's been both implementing it in uh, a lot of processes in in, uh, obviously uh, Klarna where I work and looking at other companies, uh, helping them as they're trying to navigate how to implement it in their processes. And uh, over the last year when I've been doing this, uh, it's been occurring to me or it's been more obvious to me that I think that for most companies... Implementing these is about three buckets. It's about implementing it with your people to increase productivity with your your staff, the individual contributors. It's about implementing it in your processes to remove recurring boring tasks where actually human in to a large degree are not as capable and good at delivering qualities as as these bots uh, that you can build. Uh, and lastly, to build products that are enriched by AI capabilities to have a better external offering. So, uh, to your question on like how am I reading? How am I learning? Uh, for me, it's really about trying to implement stuff. And over the last two weeks, the most exciting part has been since the OpenAI Dev Day. Uh, obviously, everybody said that they're leading the field in, in pushing uh, the capabilities uh, connected to generative AI. And uh, it's been playing around with uh, the GPTs, uh, the new agents you can set up individually. And it's been seeing how you can implement the assistance API. Because uh, Honestly, they just removed so much of the need to build infrastructure around it. And I think you can sit and read on Twitter or you can read the documentation, but the reality hits you in the best way when you're trying to implement it. Uh, yeah, I hope that answered your question. Sorry for a long answer.
0: No, definitely. Uh, thank you so much. And the and, uh, um, nice thing about uh, the GPTs is that they exposed almost the same functionality through their assistance API, right? Have, have, has that been uh, something you explored with so far?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, I, I would say that uh, there are just different versions. One is the interface version of the same capability yeah. and one is the yeah. API version of the same capability. Uh, yes, absolutely. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how you can leverage the assistance API as you build out a product. My, my narrative uh, that I'm operating with right now is But it's not this like one-stop shop. You have some backend service to a system that just pings your assistant that you've set up with with, uh, OpenAI and it does everything. You still need to work very narrowly and build out one capability at a time uh, with the assistant. So you're actually going to string together a bunch of smaller assistants to execute a a bigger uh, workflow, so to say. Uh, But I I think it removes a lot of uh, the hardcore engineering work uh, more people can be capable uh, to enable what you want to have
1: out of a workflow and just to double like double click there because i always love to like you know we talk about it kind of uh, theoretically but also take it practical. can you can you sort of just describe something that you've actually been building or are trying to build and, and how you're doing that yeah
2: obviously um, i will uh, take some uh... Uh, GPT's uh, 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 examples here uh, to, since there might be some uh, things that are delicate in, in sharing when, when implementing the assistance API uh, but uh, for example I, I have this uh, uh, email miss on plus agent that I want to build <laughs> and basically it's uh, it's I want to create an assistant that uh, with the Zapier uh, integration that they already offer uh, has access to my Gmail private Gmail inbox and I want it to go in and basically clean and structure my emails. So when I get in there as the head chef of this kitchen, which is my email inbox, I only have to sort of put the things together and taste the soup so it's it's right. And what I mean with that is I've been sitting and, and chatting with uh, uh, the create assistant when you're doing the GPT and uh, basically concluding how I operate in my email inbox. And, and there is a couple of categories of emails. Uh, just to take the main ones, it's the unsubscribe category, Spam, trash, random things that I don't want to continue subscribing to. It's the information category, mainly newsletters that I want to have summarized in a standard format, five bullets. That's how I like it. If I want to double click on the information, then I go and read the regular newsletter. It's the calendar related uh, emails. Uh, For example, this, when we're going to do this session, uh, you know, you send and say like, when should we set up the podcast session? Uh, Then I've connected it to a calendar tool that I also know you guys are are using. Uh, So basically you can go in and pick a spot uh, because it has integration to my calendar. And uh, fourthly, it is uh, a regular email dialogue, so to say, you know, somebody's emailing me something, I need to respond with some text, uh, answering their questions. Uh, And... uh, I've been sitting there and just uh, giving the uh, system instructions, which is basically you know what you write out uh, with the uh, GPT, and then I've been downloading a bunch of my historical emails and uh, uh, creating a PDF out of it uh, and uploaded it as an embeddings to have context on how I like to write emails, mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, what my agent then does—it's every email that comes into my inbox, it reads it, it categorizes it one of the categories, takes the appropriate action. It never has the uh, ability to send the response because I don't trust it yet, but I just go in there and execute what it has recommended to a large degree. So that's one example of something I've been.
1: And I think that's interesting. I think I might might even have mentioned it, like uh, without mentioning you, kind of as an example, a little bit, like when we're talking about proactiveness. I think last time, Martin, uh, in last episode. Uh, And the interesting thing there is like, you actually, when you set this up, when you're happy with it, you will never have to go to chat GPT, you will be in your email, and you will have a draft for all of them, whether that I guess that's how you do it, like when that draft is a summary with five bullet points, or that draft is a response, or that Mm -hmm. draft is unsubscribe, or that draft is an email with a calendar link Mm -hmm. uh, to your calendar, whatever tool you use. And that's, I think, is, is is really cool. With this, is you know, it's it's not limited to the chat interface. Uh, you know, like building a chat a GPT, like you know, as like this is my email uh, summarizer or whatever, and then you paste an email or something. Uh, but but it actually does it, and you you just like literally have in your email instead of having emails, you have drafts. Uh, you know, that you just go through. Each email has a draft, and I think that's like it's really like a good example of what you can do with this. And, you know, I'm I'm not going to like, you know, a little bit of code, but you're not like a developer, right? So you could argue that any kind of dedicated person can probably build something like this relatively quickly with the no-code tools out there, such as Saker and make.com and, of course, uh, these open AI tools, uh, which I think is is quite cool.
2: 100%. And uh, to that exact uh, (laughs) reference, make.com, I've been building some automations with that. And I think what is beautiful is even if you... So so for some of the automations I've been building, you need to do some HTTP HTTP requests uh, to execute them. And since I'm not an engineer, I run into these problems, right? I I get stuck in in building out the automation. Having ChatGPT on the side, working together with ChatGPT works beautifully. It will help me resolve the problems uh, so that I can get the automations going. So it's this it's always a meta perspective on you can even use the agent to do the work that you want to do with the other agent
0: Mm. and the and the generalized recipe of uh, using a gpt that you that you train on what you want to achieve and how you do uh your normal work and and plug that into workflows in zapier sounds incredibly powerful in general
2: very much so i agree I, i uh You've probably seen this on YouTube and Twitter and Instagram, and uh, there are all these automation agencies that are starting, uh, which you don't really know how much legitimate experience is behind the agency starting up. Uh, but if we if we we don't spend our time scrutinizing uh, how legitimate and powerful those agencies are, I think they speak to the point that with LLM capabilities now that are supporting so many different medias, I mean image, text, video, audio, etc., with those capabilities connected to automation tools like make and Zapier, you get a lot of what was previously known as like hardcore engineering work accessible to anyone and we've been talking about no code for a while um i think that's more of like a packaging uh, to say no code uh, but uh, whether or not it's no code it's accessible today uh, mm-hmm. and and you can make huge uh, huge productivity gains
0: yeah so do you think that, uh, GPT-4 is intelligent?
2: I always try to get away from having, uh, these discussions on the, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> is, is this utopia? Uh, is this gonna be the end of civilization? When do we get AGI? Whenever I'm talking about this, I, I try to <laughs> package my knowledge as a pragmatic approach to generative mm. AI. Uh, but, uh. You know, uh, since I'm here, I guess I have to play your game and ask you question. <laughs> <laughs> so, is GPT four intelligent? Mm, intuitively, I would answer no.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: What do you think? Uh, it's
0: like, um, no. I actually think it has uh, reasoning capability that, with better processes around it, is as capable as as many people at at least at their worst days in the office mm. if mm. they were if if they like you forced it into the same processes as we force people mm. like have have you done your stuff yet uh martin like you we agreed to you do, doing this last meeting did you do mm. it well not 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 yet i'm gonna get to it thank you for reminding me like if you <laughs> if gpt4 had that that mm. it could be it would be capable of doing a lot a lot of work um however some days i feel the opposite like it, this thing is so stupid and i really t- really need to just do let it do the bare bones thing and anything else is just going to be random outcomes mm. but um so i'm i'm oscillating and i'm mm. allowing myself to oscillate there
1: mm. Mm. but i think like it's just like i don't know conflating intelligence with kind of sentience or consciousness is like i don't know i feel like we were doing that a little bit there but like i i, I don't think you can are i mean you guys are but like in my perspective like of course like it has intelligence in the sense that it can do a lot of things very well like mm-hmm. on the level or even above of a human in specific areas you know yeah. uh but you know is it sentient no that's not no uh,
0: and, and that's a completely no definitely not there's no awareness going on mm. that's not uh, something i like it's it you can definitely make it simulate awareness
1: mm. if you like prompt yeah. it the right way which mm. is pretty interesting because the original turing test kind of like can it fool you if it's a human that it's a human mm. that's been passed like mm. by far yeah, yeah it can sure. do that with voice definitely. and with text and anything mm. right mm-hmm. but i anyway, know taking it back to the ground i think we were on like a and like a pretty interesting angle there with like um with like building applications and who can do it and how you can do it and i know we had like a, a like an interesting like little chat like the other week Raspus, uh which like i still am like not fully like immersed in, in how you see it so i would love mm-hmm. to sort of double click there which is like how does you know this now with no code kind of let's call it yeah no code tools workflow tools uh, you know make.com Zapier etc uh, and you know now these capabilities that are so easily available through assistants, and these assistants that can do actions through mm. these or as part of these, uh, uh, you know, no-code uh, workflows. Mm. Um, like you, you said it in the way last week, like it changes ca- could change fundamentally how we mm. build software. So I just would love to sort of hear, hear your thoughts again on that because I'm still like not like fully in there with you, even mm. though I'm approaching it.
2: Mm. So, uh, I mean, obviously, we're we're just uh, two weeks out from that release, Uh, so we're in early days, and this is speculation. Uh, But how my intuition uh, is reasoning about that? If we look at uh, what happened in the spring, and uh, you know, after ChatGPT was released, thirtieth of November, twenty twenty two. We saw a lot of infrastructure tooling coming to life from all the big companies, uh, not to mention specific stuff, but you saw uh, you know, Amazon and Google and everybody trying to put that infrastructure to make it easier to do embeddings, fine tunings, vector databases, tools. Some of these were already existing, but they just blew up in, in the potency and the VC funding and, and so on. What that meant for people building uh, workflows empowered by LLMs Uh, it meant that you had to go and use those infrastructures uh, either to build out the Python uh, code in a better way uh, with like LangChain or use vector databases with Pinecone, et cetera. Uh, What we're seeing uh, since then is that all that infrastructure to enable, for example, giving richer context to an LLM when it's going to execute a specific task, that is now something you can easily upload directly as you're creating an assistant you don't need to have third-party systems and string things together. I can actually go in there, upload the PDFs with the context, uh, several PDFs towards the assistants, if it's a customer service process or whatever it is, and enrich that. And I don't need to learn and set up all these extra third-party systems. So it vastly decreased the complexity and time to roll this out. It sort of created an even stronger stickiness towards the OpenAI offering, right? And uh, I think if you look at the people in the in the team sort of, let's say uh, in the spring of 2023 versus in the spring of 2024, like now I could actually by myself individually execute a lot of, of the work to have a prototype a proof of concept to see uh, if it's able to execute what I wanted uh, what I wanted to do. Then if you're working at a big company with security, etc., a lot of uh, more complexity that you need to consider when you're rolling out a product, eventually you're going to need some engineers to actually put it in the real system and, and have it work. Uh, But I can test the proof of concept completely by myself and create embeddings and see if the embeddings are working, uh, add actions to it, go and collect documentation of third-party APIs to see if we can actually get the the assistant to execute actions towards that API and so on. So uh, coming back to your question, how has it changed? Previously, you know, product managers or let's say just, I don't believe so much in the knowledge of this like separated competence anymore. Uh, Let's say the person accountable for the project, whatever competence they are, they can now go as far as to create a fairly good proof of concept in the playground environment of OpenAI. That then, if it's successfully operating, can just be connected by the engineer. So you basically just plug in the thing that was sort of iterated through to full actual working capability. If that made sense, uh, it looks like it made sense. No, I think, that, I
1: think that's exactly. actually, that's a really good point. Like we actually had an example of Multiply earlier today when we're um, you know, updating the way, like actually just simplifying the way that we allow like our users to generate on brand content, like with consistent mm-hmm. quality. And we're moving towards generating those styles with an assistant. Mm. Uh, so just like within the multiply platform, you just click mm. and then you get a style and then you can use it in different mm. languages, etc And what's interesting is now that we use an assistant, <laughs> mm. is I can actually go in and change, configure it mm. in OpenAI Playground while it's live. Mm. Uh which I'm you know gonna be careful with, right? and we're gonna do it on the staging, yep. etc. But like still that enables me to just like logically try out like what's the best way to describe a style to test it. We even have a a style uh, like quality assurance assistant that kind of compares the output to the uh, examples provided by the customer. So to Mm. see if they diff. And what's cool here is even when it's in a like a live product, like having it set up like that in basically a no code AI tool, Mm. right? That's sort of what it is like this, this playground, right? Uh, but with the assistance becomes even more obvious then then I can actually as a i don't know product person or a customer facing person mm-hmm. really like experiment with it so it uh it really goes down this no code lane in, in like one huge step i find yeah um, mm-hmm. massive step.
0: and uh, um Rasmus, how do you feel that uh, an organization should be set up in terms of spreading the knowledge about this should do you see like a uh, um, uh, that there should be 10% people building things mm-hmm. and 90% consuming it? Or should everybody be builders
2: now? Mm. Great question. Um, so so coming back to how, how my mind usually addresses situations, let's assume I'm the CEO of a company that has 400 employees. And now I'm going to try to answer your question. I find myself in this day and age where these tools are available, and I have 400 people that have been working at my company for a while, and they have context on what we're doing, and we're obviously competing in an industry where other companies have access to these tools where maybe they're using it or not using it. What is my first point of action here? And that's where I come back to people, process, and product that I mentioned before. Uh, is I think the first point of action that you have to do is you got to activate your entire workforce to use these tools, to build education. because. Mm-hmm whatever future our company is going to head towards, if it's a smaller uh, pool of of staff, uh, if we're going to expand and take more market share within our segment, hence uh, we will need more uh, labor force. Uh, However, we have this uh, relative dilution effect on, like you you have higher productivity on people, but then maybe I can keep my 400 people. Mm. The truth is just that in the environment we're competing, the ones who learn how to use these tools would have a competitive advantage on an individual basis with higher productivity as individual contributors. On a company basis, by having a better operational or OPEX, uh, EBITDA, if you have uh, lower costs per errand executed uh, by introducing AI and LLMs in your processes. So higher productivity on people, higher productivity on process. And then eventually you got to move to build products that are empowered by ai and we can talk about uh, not being a real ai company so to say you're, you're not open ai or you're not uh, google uh, when this, when will you have a, a relevant future state despite not building an llm uh, that has an empowered ai product we can talk about that in a bit but so to your question what do you do the first thing i would do as ceo is i would really demand that everybody starts using it I would have a lot of efforts inside the companies uh, where people are allowed to invest in, in in leveraging these tools. I'd go down on the department level in the go-to-market departments and be like, "How are you going to do automatic prospecting by building out automation chains with Make.com and OpenAI assistants?" And uh, you know, if we need some engineering there, that take some motivated engineer from the engineering department and move them over. But you gotta activate each department uh, because all aspects of our company will be set up for competing with ones that have these capabilities, then second to that, there is the uncomfortable and real uh, truth that you might need to address on so, like some departments might not need as huge amounts of, of uh, staffing capabilities. Uh, but um, I don't think that's where, where you should start. I think like retraining, hmm. competitive edge with your entire group of people that have context is the, the most appropriate starting point.
0: So, so how do you incentivize people to actually reveal when they can, when there can be huge productivity improvements that might even threaten their their like role descriptions at the company?
2: Yeah, um, um it's a good, uh, it's 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 a good question. There might be several but, answers.
0: Yes, but is it? I also want to ask you: Is it actually a concern in reality?
2: We've gone through this so many times as uh, yeah. our productivity has increased. You know, we, we're a hundred times more productive on producing yeah. food just in not that many decades. Uh, so, so I think it's, a, let's say it like this, for the individual, emotionally speaking, it is a reality. There are people that get threatened and feel that they, their job is at risk. Hmm. Yeah, so, th- So that's true. And you need to address that. But on mm. the other hand, if you are in a company that wants to make these initiatives, you might be the one who gets to operate in your competence, in your function, with the empowerment of this technology. I think uh, Scott uh, Galloway, uh, uh, which uh, I assume you you know is, he says it well. Like AI might not take your job, but someone using AI will. Yeah. So you yeah. might as well just be the person on. The side of taking that. so if i'm the yes. ceo i want to make all of the people in my company be the ones that are more productive and mm. make the, the long-term job yeah.
0: And Yeah. luckily in, in a globalized world uh, the market is uh, almost equal to infinite so we can just move faster we don't maybe we don't need less people
1: we can move faster instead infinitely faster mm. but i and i think like just tying back to what we talked about before like i think it's Quite like amazingly empowering for people if you get them into let's say like I think company hackathons might be like a big thing in the future. Just sitting down with workflow tools, um, whether it's you know Make.com or or uh, or Multiply, and and then you know building GPTs and assistants. Like, how people see like what they can do quickly if they learn it. And then I think just there is something kind of basic in most people that if you don't if something can be automated then it's it's like most people are not going to want to do it like there's so much stuff we do on a daily basis that we don't want to do and I really think that like we're, we're like we're going to be surprised by the value add that humans continue to have even with yeah, AI yeah. like in terms of let's say I'm uh, you know an author something that's you know, very artistic right uh, and now instead of like Writing every sentence in every chapter in, you know, I can really focus on storyline, finding inconsistencies, like rewriting something that really didn't, you know, uh, pull the threads the right way. You're going to be able to, you know, handle much more complexity in your writing. You're probably going to be creatively empowered to really get those words right by trying 100 different uh, versions with the help of AI while instructing it. So I really think it's just like right now it feels a little bit to some people like, um, okay, now I don't need to illustrate these kind of symbols or images anymore because it can do it for me. But actually what happens is I can illustrate much, much better and much, much more. So it's both like uh, speed and quality and doing less of what we don't like. So I just think the inherent experience of anyone who started using AI and found some value in it Mm. is just so positive. You know, the, so I'm, I'm not so worried. I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing like a lot of engagement and excitement actually with, mm. within, like uh, at least within the, the people I talk to in, in my work. So, so,
2: so, something I, a parallel on like what, what does AI do for like an average person if you play out the progress? People that are financially well off, they progressively buy themselves away from doing stuff that is boring and repetitive if you're well-off, you have an assistant that helps you do your receipts for your work. If you're super well-off, you might have assistants in your private life that goes through the shopping, cleans the clothes, cleans the apartment, etc. This is going to give us, when it comes to the digital world, it's going to make assistance available for almost anybody sitting in front of a screen uh, or whatever interface we have in the future, which is another super interesting discussion. And, um, but and essentially, then you can go do what you like. Uh, and, and that's true for if you're in the accounting finance department of a business and you're sitting and, and reviewing receipts every month. That's not fun. If you're sitting in uh, customer support and categorizing emails like this is category A, this is category B, that's not fun. It's fun to help somebody with a complex customer problem, which merits you to really think and have a dialogue. But doing this sort of categorization, I think it's just like we're going to, everybody's going to be able to live a richer life uh, in their work environment, so to say, as we were all super
1: well off financially. Yeah, I agree. I think it's well put. Um, but like, it's, it's interesting also, like if we tie that back, because we talked about a little bit about, you know, I think the people process product one is is. It's like, very, like a very good frame of how this will work. And then also, of course, like privately, how it will take us up the ladder, so to say, of, of the, the service we can expect in our lives, mm-hmm. like the average person. Um, but if we double click there on, like, I think building product and companies, how that will fundamentally change. Mm-hmm. And we sort of talked about that a little bit on, like, the, the product side, how we're building software. Mm-hmm. But let's just, like, maybe imagine, like, building a new startup. Mm -hmm. or something right Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of both the kind of uh, competences you need the people Mm -hmm. how many and uh, and uh, like how quickly you can get to a prototype but also to like a finished like working product that you can sell to your customers Mm because this is something i'm very interested in like the sense is and we can dive into this is less right less people uh, less specific competencies less code written less time to get to market right mm-hmm. but like it's uh what, what are your thoughts about that Rasmus? Like, is you like um, is there any of those points where you like mm-hmm. you know reflected on
2: yeah if uh, so assuming we start a software uh startup um yes i do believe uh you need a smaller team to try proof of concept i don't think that's rock and size i've started even drifting in the direction of believing that uh what you mainly need is uh, back-end engineering capability. Cause when it comes to the front-end stuff, so much open source. Actually, a lot of these tools you can like draw on a paper, upload it, and you can produce. You can print screen third-party services and say, like create a similar front-end as this, what image you've seen, and so on. So you can get quite far with that, especially when it comes to proof of concept stage, where you might be okay with some glitchiness and some pixels not being in the right place uh, however the business logic of the service that you're selling uh, that you need somebody to to help set up so I think that the backend engineering aspect is vital I do believe uh, you still need uh, sales um, to make sure it works because there is not only sort of signing the papers when you are in the early phase of building a company but when you're sitting in front of a Customer and having a dialogue, you have the ability to pick up the sense of truth around if they want to buy this product. What if anything in the product is it that they want and what do they don't want? How do you pivot, etc. So, to put it very simply, I think uh, it's been even more obvious that now you can get away with back-end engineering and sales when you start a company. Uh, uh, even though on product, uh, I think that the. Somebody takes the product hat, whether there is a person there or not, uh, the engineer, the salesperson in between, you can get away uh, with with the cheating a little bit there or not having somebody super experienced. uh, hopefully you learn anyway uh, sorry for everybody that's a product manager including myself <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah and and you get higher output uh, if you're migrating a legacy service with a huge complexity and so on you don't see the productivity increase on engineering in the same way if you're building a greenfield project you can actually uh, come a long way with with co and uh, chat gpt support and doing uh error uh searching and so on like uh, you can really use these tools so i think it's super exciting to think about starting tech or software startups today uh it really is in one way but you know whenever it's easier to to get speed and momentum uh, that's true for everybody else so it's like yeah. uh, being in a race where now suddenly everybody drives a faster car from day one uh, <laughs> some people might we're still gonna have a lot of crashes maybe proportionally more crashes because there's going to be more cars than there is and so,
1: yeah but i think i think that's like it's it's um i think it's true like it's interesting because it changed in two ways like the value of like different competence right you touched upon and i think it's if i want to double click on the sales part i think one of the inter- like one of the things that's really like happening now and what's already happening with like web 2.0 and social media is like there's too much content. Like your attention is the limiting factor. Human attention is the limiting factor. So getting heard through that noise is increasingly more valuable. And I think, for example, old-school sales is, is just to kind of become more valuable because that's not where people are most kind of bombarded. Of course, your email and, and your social media, etc. But you know, an old-fashioned phone call or you know, knocking on the door. I don't know, going to a networking event, kind of is going to work. And those skills are not going to be replaced by Optimus uh, robot uh, anytime soon. Uh, and I also think like the value of creativity, right? You know, like actually being heard through the noise mm. uh, and and adding that, you know, creative touch that the value of ideas will go up. It was like a famous speaker, like a number of years ago, who said that just about Web 2.0. And I think that's even more true now, that whether it's in product or in, in marketing, et cetera, it's, it's going to be like the value of ideas and clear perspectives and clear understanding of be like markets, et cetera. And what they want and understanding of people that's going to like just increase mm-hmm. um but i think it's like it's also switched in another way which is like if you take that the whether it's an existing company or a new company the time to try something valuable and new is so mm-hmm. short and and like the money needed is, is, is so low then i think it's really going to fundamentally move us to like even more of kind of a lean startup mentality generally and just yeah. like trying things uh which i think is amazing Uh, Just like from a kind of for for everyone, it's going to be, Mm. but yeah, it's going to move fast.
0: It's also interesting to think about the role of venture capital in that new world. Like that, I think that, like, everything that needed a pre seed funding before is going to be very cheap to just experiment and throw out Mm. without any funding at all. So VC money is going to go much more towards scaling maybe in the future Mm. than it has so far.
2: Yeah, I think it might be the scenario where you also see this like six month uh, decent salary investments. So the seed fund from where they were in 2021, they're going to be way smaller. But you have a three person mm. team, they get to earn, you know, $5,000 per month. It's a small salary per person, but the, they have something and sort of throw a bit of money on it, see where it lands. <sighs> I don't know if it's going to be the big VC funds that actually start doing that. I have uh, my intuition is saying no because they don't want to put up with the administration and speaking to all of them and so on. But um, looking at uh, entrepreneurs, uh, angel investors that have a bit of money on hand, and then suddenly you know you meet Martin and you feel like, oh, I like you, Martin. Oh, you just need a six month runway, and you think you can do that? Sure. Hmm. Uh, it's going to be even cheaper to do that. The the actually, I would say the real meaning of seed. F- Funding,
1: it's yeah. going
2: to be easier. Real seed funding, pure seed. Uh, yeah, pure seed. Uh, what, there was uh, something I, uh, what, yeah, I wanted to highlight one thing about starting a company, which because uh, it's so easy to get drawn into the productivity gains and to some degree the hype. I, in one way, am still fairly old school. I think the sales, uh, the purpose of sales, as we discussed, that's also an old school view. But I think that the the most important factor in whether or not you get a startup off the ground. It's just putting people in a room next to each other and having them focus on it. Even though we have these tools today that, and we can debate if it's two times or 10 times productivity gains on building a proof of concept compared to when I did my first software company in 2010. Being in the same room, is the, 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 I think it's the most important factor. It's uh, and I don't like saying it because I have kids nowadays, and uh, you know I'm comfortable, and I uh, want to work with great people, and they have kids, and they're somewhere else, and then you know it's, oh you got to be have dinner with your family, but honestly speaking, put everybody even if it's 2010 or if it's 2024, give people one month in a room together. I think that's the most important factor in comparison to the productivity uh, gains that we have with the tooling that is available mm. today. Because yeah.
0: Awesome.
2: Team dynamics,
0: or like what, what is the reason for you saying?
2: Uh, accountability and sense of truth in what you're building. So it's, I mean, compared to a robot, we suck at accountability. We do, because we need to go to the bathroom and we need to eat. And then we have our emotions. And now there's, I have kids. I don't know if both of you have kids. I know, yes. Rasmus has kids, yeah. And there's so many things poking at our attention, not speaking all have consumerism and, and stuff works today. Like everything is trying to disturb us. And we get disturbed. And when you sit in the same room, if we the three of us start a company, if we sit in the same room, and I tell you, I'm going to contact ten customers before lunch, and you're in the room, it's like that accountability. It's not a some, it's not a choice of decision I have to continuously do after I hung up on the stand up with the two of you. Hmm. You're there all the time. Yeah. And so that, the accountability is one. The other is the, the sense of truth. Because as you're having that accountability and with that, I'm implicitly saying you're making progress on whatever tasks you commit to, you also get a sense of truth when you're really focused on something on like, is this working or not? Uh, I uh, love playing video games. I used to play a lot more video games, but it, that, and I did this uh, stupid thing uh, where I'd sit up all night playing video games. But like the progress I would see in a night by stringing five hours of focused time on a specific part of that video game together, that made me excel so much more compared to having five hours distributed over a week. Because I was like really banging at the, the video game challenge. And I think video games are very nice because they draw you in. It's like, you know, a page turner. You just want to stay with it. But when you build a company that way, when you sit in the same room together, there is a sense of truth. Like, is this software going to work? Is it going to solve a problem? If you're sitting and being focused on it, if you just pick it up one hour a day, distribute it, you don't get to the same intuitive truth. Does it make Mm. sense? Makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting in this age, I think, like stringing that together, like I think accelerators, like the main accelerators are just going to be like huge winners because they've already mastered the model of putting people in a room, putting a very strict process of accountability and focusing on delivering and mm. now and writing small checks and then doubling down on the ones who win mm. and now uh, you know they uh, like all of their teams will have an, a quicker ability to execute you know copilot etc writing code doing things uh, but also um, you know the t- 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 type of products they can build and uh, mm. because we didn't really double click there maybe we don't have time today let's see but but like there's also new Like there's completely new kinds of products you can build, right? Mm. Where you don't need as much UI potentially. Yeah. uh, You know, because the assistants can, uh, you know, provide like guide you through complexity through conversation. You know, Mm. of the handling your finances or whatever area of, you know, a business or private life that you want to kind of serve. So I I think they're going to be big winners. And I think like just like mapping this up a little bit, like whether it's sales or in the same room. I just think the value of interpersonal relationships and interpersonal skills, like very human skills, just going kind to of go way up as we automate all the other stuff. Mm. Uh, so I, I, it's, I, I'm mm. pretty excited for that, actually. Me
2: too. But but speaking of which, you have such a point with the accelerators, and it, it just hits me now. Like, to my knowledge, at least, there is no Nordic best or Sweden best accelerator in the class of Y combinator. You know, we make we're so proud that would you say that there is one?
1: I mean, I, I, not class of Y combinator, maybe. I mean, but but antler is good. Like I hear good things about antler. I haven't seen their returns or anything like that. Yeah. But I've heard like rumor wise that they're doing doing well and uh, that there are good companies coming out of there. I think they're the premier one if you yeah. want to like benchmark them to YC. You know, that's that's a hard one to kind of to compete against, maybe. But uh, but I think tech stars or was the startups failed here, right? Hmm. I think they tried.
0: We, we have this culture of incubators in, in yeah. Sweden, where they were they've sort of uh, competed since they're governmental financed. Uh, they have uh, made competition very hard for accelerators, but they and they have this three year mindset instead of a six month mindset, mm. which is like the whole idea. Like you're four people now, you're still gonna fit in that room three years from now. Mm. It's not. communicating an idea of growth
1: at Mm. all. No, and either that room is going to be empty or it's going to be too small, right? It is. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. exactly. In this day and age.
2: Absolutely, but it's true. I think, and also incubators are more jante, you know, the Swedish terminology for just like don't. Uh, <laughs>
0: exactly, <laughs> like an incubator is where you keep the fetus alive when it cannot uh, like uh, survive on its own. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, it's locked, exactly. that's such a bad comparison. Actually, yes, yeah, yes. about that. Yeah, that's yeah, such a bad word to use. It's yeah. like please live, please <laughs> oh, live. Wow. Yeah, never
2: thought about it like that. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah.
0: So um, I, I want to ask one more thing. We talked so much about um, no-code tools and prototyping, but do you have sort of a secret sauce on uh, putting products, AI products into production, deploying into production? Like what, what's, mm-hmm. the, what's the takeaways there for you?
2: Uh, uh, the, the answer is different if you're deploying um, for millions of customers uh, or if you're deploying a startup uh, functionality. Uh, risk appetite should be relative to the asset you're managing so what I mean with that is if you have 5 customers you can be more risky if you have 5 million customers you should be relatively less uh, risky right um so uh if i asked the, the the five million customer uh setup you know automated uh, uh, testing in all of it different in all the different ways it's capable uh, having uh, four eye reviews on the pull requests etc blah 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 and once you get through that stage put it out. i still believe in putting it out early putting it out fast and then putting it out on small percentage volumes and seeing that it works uh, on small percentage volumes in whatever KPI way you are measuring your product. Um, and then it's a long discussion on like how you do that, uh, which I don't know if you want to go down the rabbit hole of how you slice your usage traffic uh, to see if it works. And then uh, eventually scaling up. Uh, I think that uh, uh, if you're managing one of these big products, you come to some hard decisions where you see your key performance indicator, if it might be conversion, actually going down when you do a fundamental uh, push for the product, when you move something. Uh, so then you need to really have courage and understanding of the long-term vision and if it might be acceptable to take a conversion drop to, to make this move because you have another KPI that's going to grow over time. Uh, so, so there it's, you really need nuance and strategic thinking to make the right decisions. Um, I do believe uh, we in many bigger companies have had a tendency to create too many visionary and strategic uh, strategic owners of sub products, which uh, make a sub optimize, and the long term output is you build Frankenstein interfaces. That is the result of hundreds of different A/B tests uh, that prove to have pos- positive conversion on this one thing. This one thing. This one thing. Yeah. This one thing. Uh, I, I think. I, yeah, you know where I'm going. Uh, so, yeah, mm. uh, um, yeah. Release take risks, but you also need to have the strategic and courage ambitions to make the leaps that the product needs to do Uh, sometimes it's harder the numbers won't tell you everything to answer the other scenario you have five customers you have a small company and then you need you really need to take more risk you can't have the time spent in building all that automated testing infrastructure unless you get it for free from some ai integrated capability in your deployment process in that case great (laughs) But uh, uh, if it takes a lot of time, uh, you can't put all those security rails around deploying your product. You got to go because uh, time is of the essence and uh, you got to get proof of concept. So in that scenario, I actually recommend uh, you can take safety measures like deploying at night if you have a software that is mainly used during the day. Uh, or like you say what I mean, like organic mm. uh, safety, uh, um, but uh, don't block yourself Uh It's a common problem.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think just like one reflection that I think maybe it's time to run off soon, but it's... I mean, I think it's interesting now that like given the, you know, four people in a room for a month or three months with an accelerator or whatever, like, and and what you said in the end here, like you need to move fast now uh, in the sense that like everyone else will be moving faster and faster and you should be able if you're like to get shit out like pretty quickly and try it. And then if it fails, it fails, et cetera. And I think that's gonna be just like, I think the startup mindset is gonna to have to, and probably will spread into every organization, like yeah. because like just the speed will be like, like really, really quick, but it's, it's interesting to hear also about like the big company perspective, of course. And there are apparently like, I mean, I know, Florida is kind of like, you know, uh, at the forefront of, you know, moving fast and shipping, et cetera, right? Uh, but it's interesting to hear that even within those companies, uh, there are strategies to kind of do that to move fast, ship things, mm. even when you have like millions of customers. Like mm. that's, uh, that's interesting. Mm. Mm.
2: But uh, I mean, uh, it's a long discussion if we if you can get the full nuance on how you think about releasing no, the and, so, uh, and there are also counter. Uh, counter forces to that you know which is like have high quality products uh, rather release fewer times but put out something that is really functioning and if you if you're i think that uh, a common uh, a common limitation of uh, when you're more junior is that you think about stuff in in a two-dimensional way being like release uh, fast often high risk and uh, like uh, you know fail fast Mark Zuckerberg's film said. And then the other one is like, release seldomly with full confidence and know that it always works. That, that is not the, the, the craft of a senior skilled person. It knows when you're doing a, a release, which needs the sophistication and detail and cautious awareness that this is working and delivering high quality value. While some f- things you release, you can isolate it and release it in a way which doesn't really put the main offering at risk. So, using the right tools at the right time is the more senior mindset.
0: Awesome. I think that's a really good point to round off. Uh, host Rasmus, do you have any final words
1: before no, just, we close out? No, this is, this is fun. I mean, appreciate it, Rasmus, that you wanted to come by. Let's uh, let's bring you back the next time. There's something big and new, kind of uh, emerging in the market. Like I think there's going to be really interesting to sort of circle back on how building software will change, Mm. like how building products maybe is better way will Mm. change like over the coming six months, et cetera. Mm. Uh, And uh, so, yeah, I mean, just, yeah. Thanks a lot. And and happy to have you back uh, sometime soon. Yes.
0: Thank you so much both. And thank you, dear listener, for being with us all the way to the end of this
1: episode of Co-Creating with AI. See you next time.